Welcome to Faith Fondue, a podcast featuring author and speaker Haley DiMaria and teacher and blogger Ann Strickers. Faith Fondue will feature a melting pot of topics ignited by a flame, our faith, and guided by the Holy Spirit. It's the week of July 11th. We are almost halfway through the month of July, which is amazing. And it's also the 15th week in Ordinary Time. Hi, Ann. Hi, Haley. I'm excited to talk to you today about America's favorite camp counselor, <laughs> Lake Tahoe, a um, place that has a lot of memories. And uh, for me, uh, the Wimbledon Championship, religious symbols, and maybe one that has meaning for you, and another podcaster, Father Mike Schmidt. So tell me, Haley, tell me about your week. Yeah. You know, it's we're, we're more than halfway done with the year. So, right? so wow. technically the end of June is halfway through the year. I feel like people view the 4th of July as the midpoint to summer, even though it's not really. You know, I yes. feel like it, technically if summer begins Memorial Day, ends Labor Day, you know, July 4th isn't the middle. But I think people kind of mark that as um, the middle. But yeah, we are yeah more than halfway through the year almost halfway through July, which is pretty much almost halfway through summer. It's, um, you know, some days go quicker than others. <laughs> That's summer. Yeah. yeah, but we traveled this past weekend. Um, you know, my younger son, Edward, our former podcast producer, I'm actually back in his office uh, where we used to tape. I used to tape our podcast when he was producing it and putting it together for us. Thankfully, um, Ann and I have, have done some research and learned how to do it ourselves um, because he is gone this summer for two months. He is a camp counselor uh, just south of Asheville in the Blue Ridge Mountains. And um, he had about 24 hours off between sessions. So we went down to visit him and my nephew, who's also a camp counselor. My sister and brother-in-law were there. And what we had such a great time. Um, you know, I didn't go to camp growing up. I never thought I would send my kids to sleepaway camp. We sent Edward because um, his brother was playing baseball all summer. He loves this camp. It just, he loves it with every fiber of his being. And and it is no different this year. Um, and there you can, there is a physical change in him that is actually not physical. It's it's independence, it's confidence, it's the way he carries himself, but you can physically see it um, wow. when he's at this camp. And I've seen it, I saw it when I picked him up from the years that he has been a camper. And I saw it this past weekend. It's, um, you know, as I told my husband, cause Edward will be a senior in high school this fall. So, you know, most likely the fall of 2022, he'll be off to college. I felt like he's taken one step further away from us, which of course, you know, Jamie didn't want to hear, but just that sense of independence, confidence, it's um, it's really as a parent, a neat thing to see. And and certainly camp is, has expedited that. So we had a great time. He was thrilled for the break. Um, you know, he was nice. He, it was nice for him to get away, he said, from campers who don't say please or thank you. Um, but he was really excited to go no, back too. Shocking. Yeah, he, um, it was, you know, it gives him a good perspective of, um, the responsibility of taking care of children. And, you know, the camp does such a good job of, of training them in that way and helping them understand what that means, what it means to be a camp counselor. And, you know, I said to him, you know, before I dropped him off and then again, this past weekend, you know, just remember how much you loved your camp counselors. 
I said, that that's you now, you know, you are, yep. you are now providing that experience for, for your campers. And he said, mom, I think about that every day. Yeah, and I thought, yeah. okay, wow. that's great. Okay. So anyway, we had a great, you know, the mountains of North Carolina are beautiful. The Blue Ridge Mountains are beautiful, very different, certainly than the way I grew up in Arizona. Very different sure. than the Chesapeake Bay where I am living now. And um, yeah, we just had a great time. It was a nice little break. That's great. Now, so he, Edward went to this camp um, for how many years before he became a camp counselor? He went for three years. Um, and then he took a year off to play in nationals for water polo. Um, okay. He kind of had to make that choice every summer. Yeah. Do I go to camp? Do I play at JO's? Um, so two summers ago, he chose to play at JO's, um, which was great. They went out to California. Their team ended up winning their division, which was super wow. exciting. Um, and then last year, he was going to go back as a CIT, but of course, camp was canceled. So um, okay. technically, yeah. this is kind of he's he's been involved with this camp over the past six years. Um, and even last year, they had some activities that they needed to do yeah. in, in preparation in case they did have camp. But um, yeah. so he. He's he was a little later. Some people send their their little five and six year olds off to camp. I didn't do that, but um, yeah. I think he started when he was eight or nine. Okay. Yeah. Well, when I think of overnight camp, I think of the movie The Parent Trap. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you watched that with your sister, but my sister and I watched that and loved it growing up. And I I didn't go to overnight camp. Um, in sixth grade, you know, every it seems like every Catholic school kid in the Bay Area goes to Camp Caritas. And I loved it. Um, so I can't imagine going away for, I think it'd be awesome for an extended period of time. And I'm just curious, is there is there one activity that Edward participates in at this camp that's really special? Like, you know, is it canoeing? Is it, you know, is there something that make, I don't know, that's iconic, you know, about the camping experience? So this particular camp, he loves, you know what actually he loves the most? He loves being disconnected from you know for our kids from really the internet and from his phone um you know the last time he went he did have a phone he was um he had just finished his eighth grade year and i remember he didn't even take it with they they if if you bring it to camp they will lock it up he didn't even bring it with him he just said mom take my phone and you know this is a kid who again loves loves computers has you know dabbles in podcasting and loves playing video games online certainly that was his way he stayed connected with his classmates and friends during the pandemic um you know i always say he should buy stock in nintendo he knows everything about pokemon and mario kart and he just loves TikTok, youtube all those things that we probably wish our kids didn't but he also loves being there and not having access to any of that. Um, In fact, he said that in the car when we were, you know, running errands before he left, he said, Mom, you know how much I love, you know, being online, but I can't wait to get on the mountain and just get away from all of it. So that actually is the best part of it. They go in there, they can be kids. You know, they do, it's a very traditional camp in that sense. I would say the things he loves, the thing he loves the most is what they call EPs, evening programs. Every night they transform some part of the camp into a massive evening program. And sometimes it's a Mardi Gras theme or it's a country fair theme or a talent show or um, some type of who's got talent or what's your talent or crazy game show. And every Tuesday night's a hoedown and the costumes that these 
you know, kids and counselors where he just, he loves all of that. He really gets into all of that hmm. fun. I just, he, he yeah. loves it. So I would say the evening programs. Um, in fact, he asked me to just send him, he was Willy Wonka in a play a few years back. He just asked me to send him his, his Willy Wonka costume and a hat and, um, oh, yeah. and actually another book. He has blown through uh, about, he's read about 10 books since he's been wow. to He is yeah. a reader. And, um, you know, again, that's just, that's not what he thinks to do when he's at home and he's got an hour of free time. Usually he, you know, logs online. So, um, it's been great for him to reconnect with his love of reading too. So it, it, there's really nothing about this camp. It, it, everything that Edward loves, this camp celebrates. So it's fun outside, dressing up, having fun, acting, compet, you know, competition, all of that. Fabulous. That's yeah. so cool. It is. It's exciting. It's really, it's yeah. just fun to see him love something that much. Oh, I'm sure. Delightful as a parent to see that. And everything you've said about, it is it is so interesting to me, you know, about the disconnection piece. Because, for example, on Kairos retreats, we have students disconnect and they all resist initially. And then it becomes the best thing, mm-hmm. right? And I... I do kind of wonder, we've talked about this before, like, what are we taking in? Does it nourish us? You know, like food wise, but also like in terms of media and whatnot. And I think we just are constantly taking so much in, it might, you know, exhaust us. So it's really liberating for his brain to have this experience where he can be present and just, yeah, be 17, whatever that means in this country right now. Right. Um, but I also like the responsibility piece because I've noticed like some of my students will talk about being a coach, you know, for CYO basketball or different experiences or a camp counselor, whatever their experiences where they then become, you know, a leader and they um, will be infrequently saying things that we've said, you know, yeah, I'm not hearing please and thank you. And it's, it's frustrating that people don't listen or that they don't include others. Mm -hmm. So I think it's, you know, wonderful to put young people in those positions where they can learn for themselves and have the value of that experience. So really cool. It's great. And you know, the mountains of North Carolina are not too dissimilar, probably not as big as, you know, the Lake Tahoe area with, you know, the mountain and the lake out there. I, we went to Lake Tahoe a few times growing up, but um, I know that's it's a special place for you too, um, but just such a great outdoor spot. Yeah. Nice transition, Haley. Yes. I was in Lake Tahoe Thursday through Sunday. Um, Lake Tahoe is you know, on the border of California and Nevada. So it brings together two states. Um, For many people, it's a winter destination just because there's so much excellent skiing, you know, downhill skiing, cross-country skiing. I've said it many times, if I could come back and play one sport, I wish I was an excellent skier. Although financially, I'm really glad I'm not because I already play an expensive sport. But for my family, it was always, it's always been a summer destination. So it's in the Sierras. Um, 8,000 feet, I think is what it is. Um, It's a freshwater lake. It's a mountain lake. It's just um, so beautiful. And it's, um, you know, it's in the Godfather, right? I mean, it's the scene where Fredo goes to die. It is, you know, um, known for many different reasons. Um, Some good, some bad. For example, I heard one time somebody say, you know, thank God we have our national park system. Because if we didn't, Yosemite would be Lake Tahoe. 
And I thought, well, that's not so bad. <laughs> but I, I really have an appreciation for both. I, I, you know, Lake Tahoe's beauty is not uncompromised, but I am absolutely in support of our national park system, right? Um, Yosemite has its own experience, but Tahoe just for so many people offers so many different things to do activity wise. So uh, my family went there every summer for a week. We don't own a place. A lot of people in the Bay Area might, they might have family places. You know, we're talking places for skiing, you know, cabins, whatever that is, you know, so many Americans. And now it seems more of a thing of privilege to have a second place, but it wasn't uncommon is what I'm trying to say, because these places aren't that fancy. Um, But we went every summer and we would go on the lake, miniature golf, you know, you name it. There's some historic stuff that we would do. Um, Just loved going there. Um, Did you ever, um, did you ever go river rafting down the Truckee River? Yes, we yeah, did. Yeah, we've done that too. I loved it. And I just, yeah. All I remember is how cold the water is. Um, and as a young child, having my mom explain to me that that's because it's snow runoff. <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> right. Yeah. In some years, there's more of it than other years. You got that. That's so funny. Mm-hmm. We have a family photo and we're all smiling, but it's like the fakest smile because we were so scared. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's fun. <laughs> um. Now my parents like to gamble. So my grandmother was like pretty good um, at blackjack. My dad really loves to play craps. My mom is, you know, open to slots and whatnot. So for me, honestly, that is a significant draw. Um, I'm not a big gambler. I mean, I was in Las Vegas and I played craps, but I, I mean, we're, I don't have an addictive personality and I'm fortunate because I can honestly see how like it could be, it can be thrilling. So it's just funny because we were, um, you know, I was there with um, seven friends. There was seven of us and um, we go to this tournament every year. It's the American Century um, Classic and American Century um, sponsors this tournament and it's a lot of celebrities. So when they say celebrities, you do have actors, comedians, a few musicians, but the majority are professional athletes and um, a lot of coaches as well. So for a sports fan like me, it's just, I mean, it's a heyday. You're just kind of like feasting on these personalities, many from the past, but many current ones. So for example, I mean, the highest paid quarterback in the NFL, Patrick Mahomes, he was there. So there were a ton of Chiefs fans. He was in, he was paired with his teammate, who I'm a big fan of, Travis Kelsey, tight end. And then the third person in their group was Justin Timberlake. So yeah. there's a you know, high profile musician. And I don't know, Justin Timberlake did something right in this life, the way he can dance. He's a very good golfer. He just has a fun personality. And we were joking because Mahomes and Timberlake kind of had this bromance going on. <laughs> and I just started thinking about like the bromance, like, the term cracks me up, but like, were there bromances, you know, in scripture? I mean, were some of the just, you know, the apostles were there, were there bromances among them? You know, this is like mutual admiration for the other person. So that was fun just to see, you know, Steph Curry was there with his brother and his dad. They were in a group and then Steph was moved to a different group because he's such a good golfer with Tony Romo, who's a great analyst and also a really good golfer. And then Annika Sorenstam, who was one of three women that played in the tournament. Annika um, is one of the winningest female golfers of all time. I think she has a place up in Lake Tahoe. She's played in it many times. So she certainly held her own. She did not play from the Ford tees, although she could have. Um, And so it was just fun. It was fun to 
to be out on the lake to see, you know, again, these, these, um, these folks. And then, you know, my group every year, it changes a little bit, but I actually know them through my parish, um, through the young adult group we met many years ago. And um, we've gone, like I said, the last eight years. So we have gambling at night, you know, golf by day. Um, there was, we were out in the pool, you know, and it was really funny because at our hotel, Steve Young was staying there. And we knew that because he stays there every year. And he walks in and it was like out of a movie where it like, you know, in like Hollywood where every some woman or whoever it is walks in and everybody turns their head. And we were just in the pool and literally everybody turned just to watch him walk in. You know, he's in his 50s. He's still fit, but it wasn't like, I mean, it just people just couldn't handle it. And then somebody finally like broke the ice and they're like, Steve, you know, and like the guy just wanted to get in the spa. That's all. But it was just it's fun to be part of kind of all of that. Yeah, Again. that sounds really fun. Yeah, it's a great it's a great tradition. Brian Kelly, the coach in Notre Dame football was there. That was a treat. His wife, Packy Kelly, was there, got to chat with her and. People are just there to, you know, they're having fun. It's just a nice, you know, summer weekend. And um, what people yell out is kind of funny, you know, different things that they'll say. And, um, you know, who you represent, if it's the, you know, the Chiefs or, you know, a lot of Saints fans, for example, Sean Payton was there, the head coach. Drew Brees was supposed to play. He didn't. Um, You know, Aaron Rodgers, and they throw the football on the 17th hole out into the water. And, you know, there's all of that. So it's a good summer, you know, summer thing. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, you know, another great summer tradition actually is it takes place right or usually right around the 4th of July. It seems a little later this year, but everything's kind of shifted. Um, We're also playing the NBA finals a lot later this year. Um, is Wimbledon. And, um, you know, I, that is definitely one thing I grew up watching. You know, we always called it breakfast at Wimbledon, as I'm sure you did too, because we'd have to get up at the crack of dawn to to watch the finals. Um, But that was, um, you know, we, we followed that this, this weekend, Ash Barty, um, you know, the number one player in the world for the women, she won women's singles. Um, That's, uh, you know, that's a name I know because she, um, in 2018, won the U.S. Open in women's doubles um, with my cousin, Coco Vandaway. So it's, you know, I kind of always follow along with her career as well. Um, But it's nice to see sports and certainly these very traditional, you know, longstanding sports uh, return. Yeah. And I think, you know, for people who watch the crowd, was so appreciative of it and they were so loud and it was really exciting. And yeah, I I don't know that I'll ever get to Wimbledon, Um, you know, the expense of it and then just how difficult, I don't totally understand the ticket system with like the lottery and, you know, you could sit outside and I think that'd be cool. Um, But wow, what a tournament, you know, to have, you know, Kate Middleton for, you know, the Duchess that, you know, with Will on Saturday. And then you have the female tennis royalty of Billie Jean King and Martina Navratilova in the stands. And yeah, it was, um, it was super exciting. Ash Barty, um, as she's also a plus two handy, she's an outstanding golfer, plus two handicap, and then took a break for two years to play cricket. So there's certainly the argument for the multi-sport athlete or, you, you know, at that level, she's just such a great athlete, right? I mean, that's part of... And then I, I felt like it was old meets new with Djokovic, you know, tying the record three in a row, um, like 
you know, only three other men and also 20 titles. Unbelievable. But I think Matteo Bertini was really exciting. What an incredible serve. 137 miles an hour yeah. is beyond my comprehension. Right. Like, right. So, yeah, there seems like tennis is at this, you know, crossroads now where, you know, the those who have dominated, be it, you know, Federer being almost being 40 and Nadal, I don't want to write him off, but he wasn't even in the tournament. And Djokovic is only 34. He's he certainly, but, you know, the, it's interesting because some of the other names in the um, semis were newer for people. And, um, you know, with the Williams sisters also same as Federer, 39, 40. Right. It's going to be interesting. So the game's in good shape, I think. So I've only been to Wimbledon once, which... Um... I shouldn't say only, that's like only winning the US Open in, in tennis once. But my sister and I were in London in 1996. She had just graduated from high school and I was out of college at that point. And um, there had been a lot of rain delays. And so the finals used to always be on Sunday, but they had to push all of the matches. Um, this was before the new stadium they have now. They had to push all the matches um, you know, into the following week. Um, and so we, so at, at that point they have no ticket situation. And again, this is 1996. So tickets were very different back then anyway. So if you, if you could get yourself there, it was free. I mean, they basically just opened the gates and let anybody in and you could wander wherever you wanted to go. So we wandered over to center court and watched the women's double final, double finals. And um, I remember I had, remember those disc cameras that, you know, the, the disc, it was like, D-I-S-C. Wow. Yeah, this is a while. long time ago. So that was the camera that I was using. And I remember um, taking pictures of the winners. And there was a young girl who was probably about 16 at that point. I'll have to look it up. But Martina Hingis won mm -hmm. her first Wimbledon title, um, Women's yeah. Doubles, 1996. And wow. of course, you know, I wasn't a big tennis fan. I didn't follow a lot. Obviously, I would have known mm -hmm. if it was Chris Everett Lloyd or Martina Navratilova or sure. any of those big names, you know, at, at that time. Yeah. Um, so I didn't, I had no idea who Martina Hingis was. I'm sure a lot of people in the world didn't know who she was. Um, and of course she, um, has had a very, very long tennis career and, and actually was a very good doubles player for a very long time. Um, yeah. so it, it's fun. It's, it's kind of neat to be there and to just see awesome. that, yeah, iconic, um, sport and event and facility. Yeah. yeah, no, it's, it's incredible. And I was thinking one thought I had, you know, watching it was um, the standard of wearing white. So, you know, I'm at a, a I play at a, golf at a private club where we do have, you know, dress code and it's not without, you know, challenges and complaints. And that's like any institution, you know, mm -hmm. the school I work at as well, but requiring people to wear all white. And um, I think there's some real beauty in it because it almost seems like you focus more on the athleticism of the tennis player and their style of play rather than what they're wearing. That was just one observation. I don't know that people would agree with it, but that was kind of what I thought about. Now, you know, there are walking billboards. They have, you know, yeah. if it's not Rolex, it's, you know, Fila or they still have advertising. They can still have their own style. Many of the players have tattoos or piercings, whatnot. But 
I don't know. It's a different look and it's just so striking against the green of the grass. And then, you know, the all England, or I think they've had some name changes, but all England lawn tennis croquet, you know, the purple and green. And it's just like, that's the color of Wimbledon and it's its own brand, if you will. But I just, I think there's some beauty and simplicity is what I'm trying to say. I love color, but I also like the, just kind of, this is what we're going, this is what we're going to require of people. Um, so, I don't know, it was one thought that kind of crossed my mind this year. Yeah, and I'm sure that has and probably will, you know, cause controversy and complaints with some. But, um, you know, there is something England does that very well. They they hold to their rules, and they, even if they seem archaic to some, um, right. they they are who they are. And um, there's something to be said for that. Yeah, good point. So as we move to our spiritual stew, um, mine comes from a reading that I came across as I was preparing for Vespers. So, um, you know, Anne and I have talked about before our, our online parish, our virtual parish that we attended um, during the pandemic, during quarantine, which was, I know, really meaningful for us. And, you know, those masses have ended now that uh, most of our churches have opened back up again. And we um, want to support and encourage people going back into their their churches. Um, so we shifted from our online mass to an evening Vespers service um, because we did create this very nice, meaningful online community that I think, you know, some of us really wanted to kind of hang on to and and continue. So we have evening Vespers on Sunday night and um, we, we take turns who leads it. Not everybody can make it every week. Some people um, do and, and many people don't, but it's always kind of fun to see who shows up. So I'm actually going to read it. It's a, a very short reading. Um, it's only really one sentence, although, you know, sentences in the Bible can go on for two pages. Um, mm -hmm. But it comes from 2 Corinthians um, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, a gentle Father and the God of all consolation who comforts us in all our sorrows so we can offer others in their sorrows the consolation that we have received from God ourselves. Uh, and this really spoke to me and it was part of the reflection that I shared at Vespers because in so many ways, this is how I try to live my life. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we know, we, we've talked about it a lot. Most people know I, I had this, this really um, tragic experience. I. A, a horrible accident, a terrible injury, a long recovery, um, a long physical recovery, and then an emotional recovery that I'm continuing to learn and and live with and deal with. I, I I can't even say that my, you know, my emotional recovery is over. It's just it's this journey, and and one of the ways that has helped me make sense of it is being able to share that journey with others and to be able to connect with people who are going through a really tough time, to connect with people who are hurting, to connect with people who are dealing with sorrow, and to be able to offer the these two words that I share often that are so powerful when spoken truthfully, and that is, I understand. And, you know, to be able to say those words truthfully is, is very powerful. Um, you know, and, and when we are struggling and when we are sad and when we are going through any sort of tough time or challenge or tragic event, even it, it's very unsettling and frustrating when someone comes up to you and says, oh, I understand what you're going through when you know they don't. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's not that we're judging whether they understand yeah. or not. It's just 
it's just nearly impossible to understand yeah. what someone is living with if you haven't lived through those emotions yourself. And and I certainly wouldn't have the knowledge and the feeling and the, the emotions and the empathy that I have had I not experienced my own tragedy. So being able to, to share with someone, um, you know, that, that you really do understand these emotions and how hard it is, um, it is a gift. And, and that is exactly what this passage said to me is, you know, talking about, you know, a gentle father and the God of all consolation who comforts us in all our sorrows. You know, I was certainly comforted in my own sorrows so that we can offer others in their sorrows the consolation we have received. And, um, you know, again, this just really spoke to me because it's what I try to do on a daily basis. Take what I've experienced, the sorrows and, and the joy um, and the faith, and to share the gift and the grace that I received with others. And, you know, again, to be that grace um, for others. So I loved this. I think about it all the time. I've reflected on it, you know, for the past several days. And, um, you know, I, I hope it's something that our listeners can take with them. We all experience different um, events in our lives. We all experience different emotions. Um, you know, I, I often think about, you know, the death of a parent. I haven't lived through that yet. I know that I don't understand, um, you know, the emotions that, that go right. along with losing a parent. I'm very aware of that when I'm communicating and with or offering sympathy to a friend of mine who has lost a parent because I don't know those emotions. Um, so I it's it's it's, again, just something that that spoke to me and I hope will stay with our, our listeners as well. Well, yeah, you've certainly given us a passage of scripture for our takeaway, Haley. Yeah, it's beautiful. And, um, you know, St. Paul's words remind me, really, he's identified, you know, people heard about the theological virtue. So the theological virtues, faith, hope, and love or charity are the idea that we can love because God has loved us first. Mm -hmm. And so like, that's what this is saying. Like, because God is love, like God is the source of love and to have that relationship then enables us to, right, do that for other people. So it's funny, I try to explain, I, it's hard to explain it, but with like a young person, I will, um, you know, teenager, I'll say, you know, there's somebody in class, like them. you know, you have some misgivings against them, maybe you've judged them or whatever they may have, and then you find out they think you're really cool or you're funny. And I said, what happens towards your attitude towards that person? And they're all like, oh yeah, like suddenly, <laughs> suddenly, oh, they're really interesting or yeah, they're fun too. Like we change. And so we need that source. We need that because our fallen nature, we can go many different directions. So by being in relationship with God, yes, we can love others. And it's really because like you said, life has so many different things, right? Where you would never expect to need to be able to offer those words I can understand, but you can't, but you can offer those to many people. And I know you don't use those words um, just generically or loosely. It's really meaningful. I mean, that was my favorite part of your, one of my favorite parts of your um, speech at Notre Dame's commencement, um, knowing what it was like to lose a classmate um, when you were able to say that to that, to the graduating class. So um, hopefully those were words of comfort, just like in this passage of scripture. It's awesome. Well, thank you. Yeah. Um, so my 
piece for the spiritual stew. Um, maybe we can just start with a question because the um, the passage is from Father Andrew Greeley, and it's about the import of religious symbols. Mm-hmm. So I'm just curious, Haley, is there a religious symbol that has special meaning for you? So, you know, there is. And I love that you asked this because I'm not sure I knew it um, until until you posed this question. And I started thinking about it. So there's actually two. And one is um, the Maltese cross. Um, my oh. grandfather was a knight of Malta. And he, um, my grandmother, who was not Catholic, had a medallion that she wore of the Maltese cross her every day of her life. And she passed away in 1986, so many years ago. Um, And then when I graduated, or when I gave the commencement address at Notre Dame, it's interesting, it's funny that you brought that up. My mother gave my grandmother's medallion to me. And um, I wear it all the time. And I didn't even know it was... I hadn't remembered that she wore that until I saw it and I knew right away what it was. Um, mm. You know, it, it wasn't something I had seen probably in over 20 years since she had passed away, um, probably 25 years at that point. Um, but as soon as I saw it, I knew it was my grandmother's and I knew what it was and I knew that it had belonged to her and, and was meaningful to my grandfather. So I love that medallion. I love the Maltese cross for that reason, really. Mm. Um, yeah. but, but one of the first... Um, signs and symbols that that was really meaningful for me was when I first visited Rome, which I had wanted to go to for a very long time. Um, I had taken a Roman history class my senior year at Notre Dame, and it took me about 20 years to finally get to Rome. And we visited the Vatican, of course, because that's where we go. And there is a symbol that Pope John Paul II had made for his uh, 1986 interfaith summit in Assisi. And it's the Alpha, the Omega, and the and the 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 sign of peace and or oh, the symbol wow. for peace. And I just I loved it. It was it was beautiful. It was it's not a Catholic symbol. Yeah. Um, it was really a, a symbol that was related to this peaceful summit um, of, of world religious leaders. And so I, I have a necklace. I have a, 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 another medallion of type of sorts, um, that I wear very often. I actually don't, I, I actually, I didn't take it off. I put it on in Rome and I didn't take it off until the chain broke. So I need a new chain. Mm, um, yeah. but I've, I really, to me, that is, I love the, the, the medallion with the Maltese cross because it was, um, my grandmother and my grandfather's and, and that has yeah. that meaning. Um, but I love the, the, the symbol of this interfaith conference that was led by Pope John Paul because that's really how I view the importance of my faith. Um, I am Catholic, certainly Pope John Paul II was Catholic, but, I ju- and, but he so valued every religion and, and what religion meant in other people's lives. And, and I, I'd like to... To, I like to strive and, and think that I am that way too, yeah. just the importance of faith. Um, so, yeah. so I would say those two. Very long answer there, and I didn't wow. give you just oh, one. Great I, answers. Um, I'm super curious what prompted your mom to give you the cross at that moment. 
Yeah, you know, yeah. that that's a great question. My guess is um, she was always going to give it to me. It was my grandfather's. Yeah. It was it's it's a very Catholic symbol, you know, yeah. that, that okay. night, as a Knight of Malta. I'm the only Catholic in the family. So okay. um, I'm assuming that, about that. Mm -hmm. as and I was also my you know, my mom has an older sister, but she had three boys. My mom was the youngest, um, but I was my grandmother's first daughter's daughter. Um, okay. You know, yeah. so, you know, some of the jewelry's coming my way. Um, yeah. You know, it's not yeah. a super fancy piece of jewelry, but, uh, you know, it's it's been around for many decades. Um, and my guess is she was waiting for an important special time. Um, so, you know, she gave me my grandmother's pearls when I got married and my grandmother's Maltese cross when I... Yeah gave the commencement address. So um, yeah, that's a good question. I might have to ask her yeah. about that. Yeah, that's a great, yeah, be good conversation. It's funny because I, I love jewelry. I've, I've, you know, as a kid, I really liked it. Um, but one of the things I do appreciate about jewelry is something like that. It connects us to, mm -hmm. you know, our families and to our history or our past. And it is funny because here I am talking about Wimbledon and um, I did really pay attention to some of the jewelry. <laughs> so, so I might not have been looking at their clothing, but I did love this one tennis player's earrings. I was like, wow, those are awesome. Um, but I will I will post the Maltese cross in the show notes. Mm -hmm. I will post the Alpha Omega and this peace sign. And I just want to touch on this because I read it and I thought it was so interesting. I appreciate all that you said about John Paul II. And there are many people that love the Holy Father, John Paul, St. John Paul. Some call him the great. Um, and they think he's more conservative than our current Holy Father. So sometimes people put one against the other. And I'm, I'm not, that's not me. Um, they are both called to lead the church. Um, and right now in this country, there's a lot of questions about giving communion to politicians mm -hmm. and how we should handle that. And there's an excellent editorial in America Magazine about why is this even a question? Um, and it references John Paul II. He gave the Eucharist to Tony Blair before he was Catholic and he knew that he wasn't Catholic. Hmm. And so it was saying that that's happened. And, you know, on one side, and then this Holy Father has also given communion to people where, you know, people have been upset. So I just thought it was an interesting historical, um, you know, reflection that um, the question is maybe it was worth reframing the question. So I'll post that editorial as well. Um, so he, his spirit of inclusivity was, you know, some people might find that highly problematic that he gave Tony Blair. Tony Blair did convert later, but he was not a Catholic at the time. He was an Anglican. Um, so, and, and John Paul II knew that. Interesting. So, kind of, I'll enjoy reading that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I guess why I just, I wrote, I answered, asked you the question and, um, is because just Father Andrew Greeley, he's a prolific writer. I've referenced him before. He just said something I thought was really interesting about religious symbols. And I had never kind of thought about it before. Um, you know, I didn't, I don't teach high school English, but I know sometimes high school English teachers, you know, students get frustrated because they just think, you know, we teachers pay too much attention to symbols and maybe that's never what the author intended. But according to Greeley, religious symbols are options. They impose themselves on no one. If you don't believe the insight contained in the symbol, you don't have to. If you think the insight is silly, you can say so. But don't say symbols aren't irrelevant or excuse me, don't say symbols are irrelevant to human life in general. The potential for relevance is there to anyone who wishes to use it. 
that the potential has been used, but rarely in the past is not the fault of the symbol, but of the potential users. So in you know the religious life, there are thousands of symbols mm -hmm. and they are meaningful. And you know what, it's kind of like Greeley's pointing out to it. The symbol has the power whether you want it or not. And it's up to you to, to speak to that. So, you know, for me to see that Maltese cross, it's not just, you know, a cross of the Knights of Malta. It's obviously something much deeper and richer. And that's, I think, really what human life is all about is, is always going deeper and, um, you know, connecting us to our loved ones and ultimately to God. So um, that you and your grandfather share a faith tradition is really, I think, quite meaningful. So um, it's fun to think about, you know, and um, I just thought his words were really interesting. They were in context of Genesis, the myth, you know, the Genesis legend, because it has so many symbols. And he was basically, he was trying to make the point that the whole point of the Genesis story is that chaos doesn't reign. Disorder is not the story. In fact, God made order out of disorder. God made the extraordinary out of the ordinary. And so um, a, a symbol system allows, has always allowed us to communicate that. So I thought that was kind of interesting for us. To yeah, consider. that's fascinating. And, um, you know, so many great takeaways this week and so much that we've talked about. I, um, I'll have to, I'll have to think about, I will definitely read the article that you're going to post about, um, the popes and their, and giving out communion to, to Tony Blair at the time, but any takeaways that you have? I do. So, um, I haven't, I've seen him. Um, his name is Father Mike Schmitz. He is um, a podcaster. He's a Catholic priest out of the Midwest. Haley, he's like the most downloaded podcast right now, from what I understand. And his um, podcast is The Bible in a Year. Okay. Okay. So um, I've heard a number of people. He, he's a you know he's a handsome man. Um, so he, he, you know, might get some attention because, of, you know, he's, you know, draws people's attention based on his good looks, but his, um, he's really popular and really offering something that is speaking to people. And so Bible in a year, um, he has, it's like a 20 minute podcast. It's two or three scripture readings. He offers a brief reflection and then a guided prayer to help you hear God's voice in the word. And, um, it's a remarkable tool for evangelization. Maybe the, title catches people, you know, because that's a goal that some people have, you know, to read the Bible or whatnot. I haven't participated in it, but it's definitely my takeaway is to follow up on this because I've, I've really, I've seen him and I keep hearing his name. And when my friend um, from church told me about this, um, I thought, okay, I gotta, I gotta figure it out. I gotta find out. So yeah, that's no, my that sounds, yeah, that sounds fascinating. I will have to check that out too. And I will be sure to ask you about that last week. Hopefully one of us will actually listen to some of it. Yes, right. So You got it. Yeah. yeah. So lots lots to do this week. Lots of sports. Of course, the NBA Finals continue this week. Um, currently, the Suns are up 2-1. I'm hoping that they go up a little further. Um, we can talk about that next week. You know, with any luck, maybe they'll be over by then, but I don't mm -hmm. know. Um, the Bucks are looking strong. Pat Connaughton, of course, um, of Notre Dame is playing really well. I'm definitely not rooting against him, um, but uh, it's yeah, kind of a it, kind of a lull in the sports world when you get to this time of year. So I'm excited to have um, right. the NBA Finals play along. But um, yeah, All Star Game tomorrow night. Yes, um, yes, and Trey Mancini with the home run derby, 
um, yeah. from Notre Dame. So that's kind of fun too. Um, so yeah, it is nice to have some of these sports going on and in the middle of July when we normally don't have them. Um, I don't know if this is a little tidbit of trivia. Obviously COVID is a different year and, and even this year still dealing with COVID is a year, but um, the day before and after the NBA All-Star Game are the only two days of the year that there are no professional sports being played. Now, yeah. maybe I should just say, I should um, I should say in the United States. I don't know about soccer. Um, certainly yeah, just because Copa America right, is playing on now. Um, in now, you know, sports is just such an incredibly huge entertainment industry, right? Yeah. I mean, you could probably be watching cornhole championships. So, right. So cornholers or, you know, so well, maybe we'll say in the past, um, correct. there weren't, yes. weren't any traditional sports, no. um, but anyway, yes. fun little tidbit correct. of trivia, but yeah. And fun. have a great week. And um, so. thank you to all of our listeners. Chime in, let us know what you think. Let us know what you like, didn't like. And um, as always, we will be praying for you and we will be back next week. Sounds great. Thanks, Haley. Thanks Thanks to our listeners. Thank you.